0: Hello, friends, and welcome to episode number seven of Sober Speak. I have a reading of the day here to start with. Uh, I actually uh, just attended a meeting a little earlier this morning. Uh, A friend of mine, Michelle, was uh, uh, sharing and starting the meeting, actually doing the lead for the meeting. And uh, she had this uh, quote from the big book, and I just thought it'd be a good one to start us off today. It says this from, from page 133, uh, the chapter called "The Family Afterward," and it says, "Avoid then the deliberate manufacture of misery, but if trouble comes, cheerfully capitalize it as an opportunity to demonstrate his omnipotence." At Soberspeak, you will find podcasts of people sharing their story of recovery, much like at a speaker meeting. Uh, These are men and women who will tell us about their experience, strength, and hope centered around the 12 steps of recovery. My name is John M. I'm an alcoholic, and I will be the host of this episode number seven. As a reminder, we welcome all your comments. Uh, Feel free to contact us. Uh, Just uh, send an email to me at john at soberspeak.com. Keep in mind, Soberspeak is a self-supporting organization through our own contributions. We're not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution. We do not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorse nor oppose any causes. Um, please remember once again also that at Soberspeak, we do not speak for any 12-step community. We only represent ourselves We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope of recovery for those who wish to come along for the ride. Take take what you want, excuse me, and leave the rest behind. So I have a quick question, though, to start out this week, and that is, how do you handle a crisis in your life, a crisis in your life? Um, And the reason I throw that out there is because... uh, Crisis do, what's the plural of crisis? I believe it's crises. Crises do happen um, in our world. Um, And uh, I experienced two of those this week um, on top of each other uh, on the same days. And I won't go into any details, but just suffice it to say that uh, these two situations affected uh, uh, not only me, Uh, But many people, uh, many people are involved in both these situations. And there's a lot of nuance and uh, uh, complication involved with all these different situations. But I had some sleepless nights. And so I think about that quote that I read on the front of this, how to cheerfully capitalize upon these situations to... Uh, prove God, God's omnipotence. And I got to tell you the truth, right? When I'm in the middle of these things, I don't always think about his omnipotence, or excuse me, I'm always not thinking about proving his omnipotence. Um, I'm more trying to work through the process. I'm taking it to him in prayer, but I will do what my friend Renee calls, keep in my habit of Sobriety, I love that term, right? Um, my habit of recovery. In other words, it's important to establish those habits on the front end for when a crisis does occur, um, that I can continue to go down that road. And my, my my habit is continue my prayer and meditation, continue to go to meetings, uh, continue to talk to people, healthy people that I trust that I can take these things to, um, and um, uh, stay sober for one day at a time. Okay, so here we are, as I promised to introduce Mr. Chad S, uh, sitting here with me now, and you'll you will notice as soon as Chad starts to talk that he is uh, definitely from the northeast somewhere. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Uh, Chad, I, by the way, I've never really asked you where you're from, but I'm assuming you were from Texas. Where are you from? Yes, I'm from uh, west of Lubbock, about 60 miles out in God's country. That <laughs> sounds good. And you're wearing your Texas Tech shirt oh, today. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, a Red Raider.
1: Yeah, you know, uh, I went to school there for a while, but uh, just uh, couldn't seem to show up to class on a regular basis, so... Um, I, <laughs> I, up, understand I I that. ended up graduating
0: from another college. So there you, you know go. we have a, we have a similar story. <laughs> we hadn't talked about that, but I had the same uh, experience. I actually went to Texas Tech my first semester out of high school. Somehow I managed to take nine hours and get a 1.67. <laughs> <laughs> I spent a lot of time on, what do they call it? The Strip, is that what that's oh, called? Oh, yeah, the Strip, yeah yeah. yeah, yeah,
1: for sure. Yeah. Uh, Lubbock's wet now, so you don't even oh. have to go out to the Strip. They sell liquor right there across the street from the campus and everything.
0: So. Oh, they, like you don't even have to travel out don't, of the don't city to, to get have to bum a ride out to the Strip. <laughs> right, you know? that's what I was doing, bumming to, rides. I didn't have a car. I
1: had to go out to Pinkies and
0: <laughs> get a dozen gizzards and a
1: case of beers.
0: So. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to read again uh what i read here at the beginning of the podcast and i just want you know just give me your uh feedbacks uh feedback thoughts on this and that is uh avoid then the deliberate manufacturer of misery but if trouble comes cheerfully capitalize it as an opportunity to demonstrate his omnipotence what's been your i guess your experience with that well um when I first came
1: to AA, uh, I thought that it would fix my problems, right? That, that drinking was my problem mm-hmm. and that when I stopped drinking, because I couldn't stop drinking, mm-hmm. so AA would help me stop drinking. And as soon as I stopped drinking, I wouldn't have problems. Mm-hmm. That life would be okay and, uh, the, uh, damage that I'd caused between my, uh, wife at the time and mm-hmm. and uh, in our marriage and our cu- and our kid that we would be um, on 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 a new plane so to speak right we would go to that fourth dimension that they talk mm-hmm. about and everything would be great and we would uh, live happily ever after now mm-hmm. I wouldn't have any fun necessarily because I don't know how to fun, have fun without drinking but that you know that everything would be fixed all of the these issues would, would be fixed well um As time progressed and I stayed sober over a a period of a few years, um, the problems that we had were not (laughs) fixed. And uh, they just got put on hold. After I got sober, you know, the focus was on sobriety and staying sober. And Mm -hmm. after a few years, that that focus is not so at the forefront of what you're, you're working on, right? Sobriety seems to... Kind of take care of itself if you're going to meetings and and working steps and working with others and and doing all the things you're supposed to do. Your sobriety kind of kind of works out. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that was that's been my experience. But my relationships were something else. I tried to repair these relationships. I'd done my amends. I had got to a point where. Um, I didn't regret the past. I, you know, I didn't shut the door on it either. I'd had my guilt and uh, and had dealt with it b- with both my my uh, ex wife and my kid. Um, but as time progressed, there were problems with with our marriage. And you know, we got I'd been married for twenty years at that point, and you know, uh, we were different human beings. Right. Uh, I'd been a Raging alcoholic for, you know, 17 years of our marriage. So, right. and it, that's what the focus had been. There was always some sort of underlying issue going on that we had to focus on. And when there were no more underlying issues to focus on, there
0: was no marriage. How know, did she to take speak. to your adventures in AA, so to speak? Did Was she excited about it, neutral? Um, I think she
1: was... Uh, uh excited in a way mm-hmm. um because i was able to start becoming a, a parent to my son for the really the first time you know i'd mm-hmm. done all of the superficial things but and how old was he when you got so uh, he was 12 okay yeah. and so i was able to to start doing things with him that i wouldn't have been able to do before we went you know he joined the boy scouts and we went scouting and we went on lots of trips together, just him and him and I going to to museums and different places with the scouts and doing doing a lot of a lot of fun stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, I don't know if he would say it was fun, but I enjoyed it. And uh, uh, we grew close and and worked through a lot of a lot of you know teenage angst type issues. And, and and I was sober and I was able to be there for him. I mean that that was one thing that. Uh, really the program helped me with was actually being present for everything good and bad because before you know uh it was i was you know who who goes and has a tailgate at a tailgate party at their kids you know soccer game when (laughs) they're 10 years old right so i mean uh, (laughs) it's uh it's uh it allowed me to be there. Tailgating uh, <laughs> <yeah>. for years. <laughs> so it, it allowed me to be there in, in times when I didn't think I would, I, I just thought it was too stressful and I would drink, but I did. I was there. Yeah. Um, but the real test for me came when when uh, my ex-wife and I decided to get divorced because I had thought that there was no way that I would be able to live
0: through some of these things mm-hmm. and not drink. Yeah. Um. So how many years? So By the way, <clears throat> let's go ahead and just kind of get this out. I always have people just tell, what is your sobriety date? Um, February 13th, 2010. Now, uh, and, and I, I want to go back to this story when you and your wife decided to get a, a divorce. But you are uh, I don't know if we would call it famous, but you're a little bit known in the area for introducing yourself with your sobriety date, which is a little bit different than most people. <laughs> and so the way you would say it in a meeting is what? Uh, February thirteenth, old oh, tenor. Old oh, tenor. And now, uh, where did you come up with that?
1: Well, when I, it had just well, I got <laughs> sober in the first part of the year, and so I would show up to meetings and they'd say, you know, give your sobriety date, and I would say February thirteenth, old oh, ten. Oh, you know, I just couldn't <laughs> couldn't get it out of my head because I'd been saying oh nine, oh eight, oh seven for so long. I couldn't. I just couldn't get it out of my head to say old oh, ten, and. Uh, and for whatever reason, uh, I just added the er to the end of it because it's ridiculous, right? It doesn't really matter. We just we have a daily reprieve, right? So I I don't try to put too much significance on the date. So it's just a, it's a lark to me. It's funny, you know. And um, my thing about meetings and and uh, and sobriety is we are not a glum lot. Mm-hmm. Um, there's nothing worse than just being this, uh, you know. This is. Self pity and bitter mirage, you know, and and I, I think about the first meeting I went to was on Valentine's Day. Yeah, know? yeah, I was going to
0: ask you about that too. And now, before you go to that, let me let me just go back to you and your well. We get we're conflating a couple yeah. different stories. So let's go back here, and I do have that on my list. So I want to talk to you that okay. because that that just uh, uh, it's funny yet sad at the same time, right? Which is most of our stories <laughs> in AA. Um, so you you and your wife decided to uh, break up. You right. decided to get a divorce. Right, and so. Um
1: I thought, you know, it, when when I had first come to AA, I thought I was going to get divorced too, and it's it, it, the codependency was was just out of this world, um, and I just didn't think there were was going to be any life. That there was, you know, that that when I got divorced, that was it. That there was no point in going on. Well, after I've been sober for several years, and we got to this point of of getting divorced, and it came through it, and we still had a pretty okay relationship. Um, uh, right before, uh, oh, about I don't know, a year before I got divorced, some guy uh, here in in the city had him and his wife were going through a divorce, and he ended up like burning their house down and shooting their dog <laughs> and all. You know, he got drunk and and if it would have been, if that would have been. Five years before, that could have been me right. very easily. I would have, have had speed. no problem. Yeah, burning down the house <laughs> and ending up in prison for a few years just because I was so angry at the world. You know, so right. when we got to this point and we went through it um, and it was okay, that was the the omnipotence of of, of my higher power. power. You know, it was like unbelievable that the the relief that I had that. It was gonna be okay. That everybody was gonna be okay, and then that we were just gonna live our lives yeah. and be all right, you know. And I could move on, and she could move on, and our son could could have two parents that weren't uh, weren't you know assholes yeah. to each other. Right. So it it ended up being a, a as good of a situation as I could have ever imagined.
0: And I've heard you make a reference to that point, that line in the Big Book before about the warped lives of uh, uh, children. I can't, I can't remember exactly how it goes, but talk a little bit about that for me, if you would. So, um, I had never
1: realized the impact that my alcoholism had on my son. Um, it was just something I I thought I'd been able to hold hold it. Uh, uh, Away from him, you know, keep keep it secret, and yeah. so I'd only drink at certain periods of time. I, uh, and, but the last couple of years, uh, I only drank after nine p.m. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would wait till nine o'clock at night and um, start drinking. I'd uh, decided to go back to grad school to to get my MBA, and thought, well, you know, one of the reasons I and I said this specifically to myself, that an alcoholic could not make it through grad school. I said that because my drink was just, you know, uh, I knew I was drinking alcoholically, and I didn't, I I just thought, well, I'll do these things just to prove that I'm not an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, I was going to grad school, and every night at 9 o'clock, whether I was uh, ready to be through studying or not, I was through studying, (laughs) you know. Um, They... uh, I would hear, uh, um, my wife go to bed, my son would shut the door on his room and he'd be in bed and I would be at the refrigerator cracking a beer, you know, and, uh, winding down for the right. day. And, uh, I'd wake up on the couch at one or two in the morning <laughs> going, how the hell did I get here? And then oh, it was, that was the way it was every night. So a lot of winding down. Yeah. So, uh you can drink on a pretty regular basis and make it through some pretty tough stuff. You know, Mm -hmm. you don't, it's all, we will work our ways any way we can to get a drink (laughs) and and satisfy that that sickness that we have. You know, my brain is just going all the time. And I, you know, that when they talked about when I first got in and I heard people say alcohol was my solution, I understood exactly what they meant because that's what I needed in order to, to exist as a human being. Um, if I didn't have drink, uh, I would think, you know, the most crazy thoughts. So I had to have those drinks to, to get me get me to a place of what I would consider normalcy. Right. Um, I'd been told, I'd gone to a psychiatrist and told that I drank too much, I'd... Uh, when I was in the military, they told me I drank too much in the military. It, 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 everybody had always told me <laughs> I drank too much, and um, I didn't believe them. I really, I just thought I drank like everybody else. It wasn't until I uh, I got sober and was around normal people that I would see them drink two or three drinks and go home and and, and do regular things that that I realized that I was unbelievably
0: out of control when it came to drinking. It's incredible how far the the denial goes. No, it's Um, unbelievable, unbelievable. Well, tell me about your. uh, I got you off track just a little bit ago. Like your your first meeting uh, coming in. uh, How how you found the meeting? What brought you to that meeting? What what precipitated that meeting? So
1: I'd called. uh, uh, Again, I thought I was going to go through a divorce and. What I needed to do was get some sort of sobriety together so that if a custody battle ensued that I wouldn't be an alcoholic. I'd be a recovering alcoholic, which I, in my mind I thought would be so much better in front of a judge than, you know, this guy's been, hadn't had a drink in three months, so you know he's an upstanding member of society at this point. Uh, so I was like, okay, I need to... I need to, to get the heat off. I need to get sober. So the only person I knew that had ever gone through it was my dad. So and he'd been sober for um, I don't know, 17 or 18 years oh, at that okay. point. So I called him and I said, dad, I need to, I can't stop drinking. I don't know what to do. He said, well, find a meeting and uh, just go to a meeting. I said, well, I don't believe in God. and And I had this notion that I had to have an unwavering <laughs> undying belief in in God the 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 guy whose image is painted on the top of the Sistine Chapel <laughs> God right that I had to believe in that God yeah. and that was the only way I was gonna to make it through this crap yeah. and uh, so he laughed at me and, <laughs> and uh, offended me pretty pretty good. I, I was like, I can't... I, I'm going through some shit here, and his old man is laughing at me.
0: <laughs> and just anyway. out of curiosity, because I didn't know, like, going into an AA meeting, that uh, there was there anything to do with God. At least I don't remember that. What what gave you that picture in your mind that uh, there was something to do with God? So well, like, uh, when my dad got sober, okay. he, he was on
1: fire, fire man. Mansion. I mean, he, he was... <laughs> Higher power of this, higher power of that. God as I understand him. God, 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 got, God, 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 God. God. <laughs> and so I was like, man, I'm I'm out. On that one. you know, And I tried some of the other stuff that's around. I read self-help books. I took college classes on addiction and and uh, alcoholism. And I still have the the textbook. Yeah. And uh, I thought, well, I'll gain all this knowledge and I won't have to won't have to become an alcoholic because I'll be smarter than the average person right. about alcoholism, and that way I know I'll I'll, I'll conquer the disease. And uh, but there was no, there's no rationalization when it comes to to alcoholism. Mm-hmm. It's just nothing worked for me. I tried everything you can imagine. You know the book talks about all of these different things, and the one that I, I really remember was. Uh, I decided to drink one beer an hour, and um, so I went out on my porch. I was I smoked then went out on the porch with my beer, lit up a cigarette, drank the beer, looked at my watch, and said, "What am I gonna do for the next fifty eight minutes?" Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I just like I couldn't I, I just I was like, "What am I going to do?" I've got to wait. 58 minutes before I can drink my next beer. And so I decided that it, all I had to do was average one beer an hour. There's 24 hours in a day. So I could average 24 a day and I would be... I would fit in the, right. the, the, the number. So you got
0: some algorithms. Yeah, so,
1: so my, my statistical methodology was working out for me. right? I was hitting my bell curve on, on the number of beers I could have. So... I thought, okay, I need to go call my dad, says get to a meeting. And uh, he, he had, in his in his wisdom, when he had been sober a couple of years, he asked me to go to a meeting with him just to see what one was like. I, uh, I think he saw what was going on with me even when I was 24 years old, right? You could read the TV. Yeah, lines. so I went into the meeting, and it was an open meeting, open discussion, and uh I said, this is not for me. I do not belong with these people. They are they're insane. <laughs> and um, so the next one I went to was 15, 16 years later. Um, so I found the one. I looked up Frisco AA and found the meetings and uh, went to the first one on Valentine's Day of 2010. Uh, walked in, they were reading Two Wives. It was a book study, so they were reading Two Wives. <laughs> was that the men's meeting? Uh, no, no, no. It was, just, it was just a Sunday night. Oh, it was, okay, okay. Yeah, okay, a okay. Sunday night book study. And and they're reading Two, they're two reading Wives. They're reading Two Wives, two right? Wives? And, and it talks about, you know, don't be too hard on your man. Don't, you know. And I was like, hell yeah, man. <laughs> don't leave me alone. that's I'm down with this chapter, man. I am down with this. And uh, we get through reading, and uh, I go to the newcomer guy, who a guy ended up being my my sponsor, Sean, and uh, he's like, "Happy Valentine's Day," and I I looked at him like he he was out of his mind. I said, "How the hell can you say Happy Valentine's Day? I'm miserable over here. It's the worst day of my life, man. My life is over." And. Uh, but you, it was pretty. Did funny. you
0: say you felt like you were in the Twilight Zone? It was
1: point? the Twilight Zone. It was the absolute. I did not know what was going on. It was the, the weirdest. <laughs> I, I didn't know how to feel. I didn't know how to talk. I didn't know anything. And uh, so I, I knew that you had to have a sponsor. And I, I thought that was one of the unwritten rules, right? You have to have a sponsor. So I called him up the next morning and I said, "Hey, you want to be my temporary sponsor because I don't believe any of this God stuff." And so I'm not sure how well this this whole thing's going to stick to me. So I don't want you to overcommit. To, I didn't know what kind of commitment sponsorship was at the time, you know. And I was like, I don't want you to to worry about it too much. But I do. don't
0: clear your schedule. For yeah, me.
1: yeah. So we'll we'll just talk a little bit. And we'll see if this is the right move for me right now. And uh, <laughs> so I ended up uh, uh, having him as a sponsor until he moved to Chicago about four years later. Yeah. So. Um, <laughs> it was because uh, I had to have a sponsor that's close. I had to have one that I meet to, with a lot and right. holds me accountable for my actions and, right. and the things I say. And so
0: that that was a, a real important part for me. Originally, I think I think when we first met, it was back in the step study uh, uh, at St. Phillips. I don't know if you yeah, remember yeah, this. Yeah, like, yeah, for uh,
1: sure. Yeah, I'd been sober like. Uh, minute and a
0: half right when that thing came around <laughs> right right. Remember? right and so it's interesting for me to see you just coming into the program at the time and where you are now and the snapshot of you know how much you've grown what a different guy you are and such so tell me about though your your experience uh uh, with that step study kind of going through the steps for the first time what it meant to you uh, just kind of share some experience there. well
1: we were because uh, I was working the steps with my sponsor at the same time and mm. I'd never been through them so it was uh, I wouldn't say parallel but it was pretty close to, to what we were doing um, I had you know uh, I think uh, in reality I think I'd been sober maybe three or four months because I think that was in the summer that that Mm -hmm. kicked off, like late May, early Mm -hmm. June, that kicked off. And uh, I'd been putting off doing any real step work. I mean, I was going through the motions, but I really, I was just trying to keep people off my ass. Whatever that took, (laughs) that's what I did. I've, I've always been a guy of whatever the minimum requirement is, That's what it is. If I have to get a 69.9 to pass, then that's what I got, or whatever it was, right? Right. I did whatever the minimum was. And I was doing the same with these steps. Mm -hmm. And um, we're having a real issue with the whole higher power thing. Mm -hmm. Huge issue with it. And so I kept putting off all of these things and, and saying, well, I don't know about this third step. And we're working through the step study. And I'm like, yeah, whatever, you know, whatever, we're, whatever we need. And we went through and defined what we thought our higher power was, what we wanted it to be, how we <clears throat> how we perceived it. And, um, you know, it uh, and it never really meant anything to me, really. That second and third step. And I, I just drugged through it. And it wasn't until I'd been sober six months mm-hmm. and uh, got a uh, got my six month chip. I was going to the White House group down close to Love Field, and they gave me my six month chip. <clears throat> I was driving back to the uh, to my office, and there's a liquor store that I'd bought liquor at a hundred times right next to my office, and I thought, you know what, take the rest of the day off. I'm just gonna have a little six-month sobriety celebration (laughs) with the the bottle of of Crown Royal. Because what better way to celebrate (laughs) sobriety than to get wasted, right? Excuse me. So um, I um, pulled into the parking lot and... For whatever reason, I don't know if it was my higher power. I don't know if it what it was. I don't know what happened, but I called my sponsor instead of going in that liquor store. Yeah. And at that point, it was a serious endeavor for me to get through <laughs> these steps because I was going to die. I mean, you know, they talk about the pink cloud. I had that. Yeah. I was on it. I was riding it for a long time, just because it. You know, that was the first time, and and maybe. 35, 40 years that I had been three years, six, eight months without something to drink. You know, I it's, it's uh, it, so it was a weird, my, my brain chemistry had changed because I didn't have that alcohol in there, and, um, and I still didn't know what to call my higher power. I still, uh... At that point, I turned it to the Force. You know, I started using the the Star Wars, the Force, and I said, well, everything's the Force, and I'm going to use the Force. May the Force be with me to stay sober. And it worked
0: for a while. Did you have any sort of... uh, let me put it this way when I see people come to alcoholics anonymous usually it's one or two situations that you're dealing with either they learned a whole lot of stuff as a kid and they don't like that and they have to unlearn some of that if not all of it or it's kind of like a brand new penny that they're building from the ground up did you have any baggage you had to get rid of you know I'd grown up in a the
1: town I grew up in was small we had 15 churches in a town of 2500 people we had Three bootleggers and two drug dealers, you know. And the, the bootleggers and the drug dealers seemed to get me where I wanted to a lot more than any of the churches I went to. Um, my family wasn't particularly religious, but my grandma would come get me and my brothers and take us to church. And I enjoyed it. It was a social function, but there was nothing really I ever got from it. Um, and there was a lot of hypocrisy, you know. I, I equated religion to, to, to God instead of what it is right mm-hmm. for me anyway and so I'd always thought well that's uh that's kind of a, a weird weird thing to, to have that you have all these people telling you how to live and then you don't live that way right and uh <clears throat> you know I was uh it was a southern baptist church so it was real fundamentalist type stuff you know and mm-hmm. this is what you did and no drinking, no smoking, no nothing, but everybody was drinking and everybody smoking. was smoking and everybody was dancing and was doing whatever, right? So uh, I just thought it was, I just had come to the conclusion that it was a made up. It was all made up just to control people and that was that. Right. And so. Like the Easter
0: Bunny or something.
1: <laughs> exactly. I mean, the same people that lied to you about. Easter Bunny is the same ones lying to you about Jesus Christ. You know, that that was my thinking at the I time.
0: Um, and then, um, so you said you were struggling with it. Kind of coming to this step two, you're coming out of the liquor, yeah, so liquor thought, store parking lot. So
1: line. I got that, and I, I held on to this force for a long time. Yeah. I said, okay. Um, and like Renee E. says, you know, the God with skin and all of that stuff I started using the group and you know seeing these people that were total basket cases coming in and staying sober and I knew that I hadn't been able to stay sober of my own volition for any period of time and so I was like well there's something going on and that's that's great uh, and and I'll just hold on to that and uh after i uh, again it wasn't until I went through my divorce that I really came to an understanding of what I think my higher power is. And it wasn't really, you know, I thought I could read my way into it, that I could mm-hmm. study enough and mm-hmm. read about Eastern religions and, mm-hmm. and, and Western religions and how people view these things and what's the common ground. And it, it ultimately ended up being a feeling than it more than anything, you know, you can describe to somebody how you love them or, how you love this person or that person, and talk about it all day long, mm-hmm. but if, if they if it's just descriptions, nobody'll ever get it. Right. You know, you don't understand why people do crazy stuff for their wife, girlfriend, kids, whoever. Right. right. when they're doing it based on love, because you're like, well, what sane rational human being is going to do those things? And it was the same thing whenever I I got, uh, whenever I had that epiphany or whenever I, you know, was struck, Mm -hmm. whatever you want to call it. And uh, that was when I knew it was going to be okay. That every, that none of the stuff that I'd been trying to control, my marriage, my kids, my jobs, my whatever Mm -hmm. mattered in in that sense. Because I would never be able to control these things. Right. That I just needed to... uh, Love them for what it was, and who they were, and where I was, and it would be okay and it it took you know again it took me four years of just showing up, suiting up, doing the deal, going to meetings, volunteering, making coffee, doing whatever I was supposed to do i did, and it took four years for me to finally get to that place where where I felt peace with with my sobriety right. so uh, uh the you know the learning variety or, or educational variety or whatever they call it that that was me and it took a long time and it wasn't until I felt it that it really meant something to me and and uh, gave me an understanding of who I am and where I am in, in, in life so
0: One of the things a lot of people struggle with uh, uh, in sobriety as you know is uh, looking at that fourth step and thinking about the fifth step and uh, moving past those, um, can you talk about the, the, the first time you went, or for, or even the subsequent times, going through those and, and what that meant to you? Um, well, the, yeah, the first time, I remember it, uh, it
1: took, it seemed like it took forever to write all that stuff down, you know? And uh, I would go through the names, and I would fill it out the way my sponsor wanted me to, the four columns, and then I would tear it all up and I start again and I thought that it had to be now, so you would tear it up and start it again is that yeah. mean you didn't thought you had the right people yeah I didn't I didn't have it in the right format that my handwriting was messy because <laughs> he wouldn't let me use an excel spreadsheet because what to you <laughs> spreadsheets and way I could just fill down you know <laughs> so I just thought that you had to do it a certain way you know, he goes, this is the way you need to do it. And I was going to be thorough. That was the whole thing, right? It says, we are thorough in this in this step. And uh, so I was afraid I was going to miss something or miss somebody. And, you know, there were things that I remember from when I was a kid. But, the, you know... Were those making me drink today? I don't know. But did I have resentment? Not really. I, did, you know, so it was, I was, didn't know what the right answer was. Keep you kept know, second guessing yourself. There was no answer key. You mm-hmm. know, when you're in college and you take a math class, it gives you the answer to every other question in the back of the book, you know? And there's none of that <laughs> going on for me in the big book. So I um, ended up getting through with, with the, the first one, and it was... I just, I I was exhausted. I I just couldn't go anymore. I couldn't write anymore about it. I was done with it. And so uh, it ended up being five or six pages long. And, you know, I thought it was pretty thorough. And I don't remember how many names were on it. I don't remember all the names. I can't even tell you all the names on it now. If I I tried to recreate it, I wouldn't be able to. And um, so I went to my sponsor and said, this is where I'm at. He said, okay, let's work on it. And so uh, did the fifth step with him, and it took way longer than I thought <laughs> I was going to, because I thought I was just going to say these things, and it's out in the open, so we don't have to talk about it anymore. But he wanted to, everybody everybody wanted wanted to, to talk about every friggin' line <laughs> on that thing, so it took uh, like eight hours <clears throat> Excuse me, of us uh, sitting there going through each one, finding my part in it, understanding what my part was, and did I really think I had a part, you know, and and, and uh, realizing that, like it says in the book, that, you know, most of my problems are of my own making. And that's what all that was about, was realizing that all of this was of my own making. And and uh, I knew it deep down because the, the one of the, the things that gave me the most, re, you know, most solace when I was first sober was reading the third step prayer and, you know, praying for relief, from bondage of myself, you know, and that, that's been my number one problem. My whole life is me because I could never get away from me. No matter how hard I drank, no matter how hard I ran, I was the guy in the mirror every time. So, um, I didn't experience some great sense of relief when I was through with the fourth and fifth step, like a lot of people do. Mm-hmm. Um, I just felt like it was another step, you know, another block, another right. accomplishment to getting to where I needed to be. And uh, I've done several fourth and fifth steps since then, and they're, I'm always glad to do them. Um, the ones that I have the toughest time with are eighth and ninth step. Well, let's talk about
0: that a little bit. So, um, and by the way, I had the same experience with the four-step. They say that you'll be walking on the broad highway of the universe and all that sort of stuff. I didn't feel like that at all. I I was just like, I checked it off the list. I knew I was going in the right direction. I knew I had to do what I needed to do, or knew I did what I needed to do, um, So in terms of the uh, eighth and ninth step and just the amends process in general, right, this is another one that kind of scares off people. They look at it on the wall and they go, hmm, this sounds good in here. I like listening to people in meetings, but not going to do that. Uh, Are there any particular uh, amends that stand out for you? Um, Well, one one that didn't even end up being an amends
1: stands out. To me, And that's, you know, <clears throat> people that aren't in the program have heard certain things about what goes on in the program and have made up their mind about mm-hmm. what we do. And uh, my aunt calls me <clears throat> out of the blue and says, I know you got to do these apology things. She goes, I don't want to hear anything about it. I don't want you telling me anything you've done to me that I don't know. About, I don't want nothing to do. Whatever it is, consider our slate clean.
0: Wow. (laughs) So
1: that was a weird, it's kind of like a reverse event. Yeah, it was a weird thing for me because she just didn't want to, you know, and that, but that told the story of my family and the avoidance of a lot of things, right? So we had all, my family's always been good at avoiding confrontation, whatever we need to do to avoid it. we do it. Wow, she's even proactive about avoiding confrontation. Yeah, so she called me and said, I don't want to hear anything about it. So that one was kind of strange. And then (laughs) uh, um, when I made the amends to uh, my brothers, I have two younger brothers, and I made my amends to them because I treated them very poorly. And it didn't have anything to do with drinking. Mm -hmm. I had treated them very poorly our whole lives. Um, And I was ashamed and, and guilt-ridden over, over how I had treated them over, the, over the, our, our lifetimes. Yeah. And um, they were uh, extraordinarily gracious to me. Uh, and and th- it, 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 to me, it was the most unbelievable experience I had as far as a men's goes, yeah. is, is their graciousness. Because I don't know if I could have been like that. Right. If I had been treated the way I had treated them, I don't know if I could have uh, if I could have been that way. Very so so it was pretty pretty crazy that that, that piece of it was. Wow. <clears throat> so it's uh, uh well then kind of going back to the sixth and seventh step, I thought those were going to be easy too, but those are those are continual
0: right. <laughs> <laughs> continual no kidding. very worst. continual. I get you. So maybe talk a little bit about. Uh, 10, 11, or 12, in other words, um, uh, you know, your ability to uh, uh, take inventory on a daily basis or, or whenever you take inventory, uh, and uh, uh, your prayer life and uh, uh, carrying the message, because I know you do that. And so uh, talk to me a little bit about those. For, uh, you know,
1: <clears throat> yeah, 10, 11, or 12, I tr- you know, I would like to say that I have this, this regimen where I... Before I go to bed every night I have put this list together of the right. things I've done wrong and I think about it and if I make them need to make amends right. and then I'm on the phone or I'm in the car driving across town to make my amends no it doesn't <laughs> work like that so much for me but <clears throat> I do go through my day at the end of the day and say you know what's what's happening what did I do and uh um Sometimes I journal it, sometimes I don't. It just kind of depends on where I'm at mm-hmm. uh, for that day. If it's if there's something that's bothering me, then I get out my pen and paper and I write it down and call my sponsor and talk to him. I always talk to my sponsor before I make amends now. Every <laughs> time. You <clears throat> make one stupid amends and uh, <laughs> where, where they don't want to talk to you about it and... and You go, I need to run this by somebody first. Have you had
0: some experience making stupid amends in the past?
1: Yeah, you know, um, uh, it turns out that, you know, girls I went to high school with uh, 30 years ago didn't want to hear from me about some (laughs) stupid thing I did to them when we were dating in 1987. Right. And and, uh, I I thought it had preyed on them all these years. Some of them... I don't even know if they remembered my name, you know? So it was, uh, 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 the one in particular, I would called her and talked to her and, uh, she was surprised to hear from me in the first place, but you know, small town, it was easy to get her number and, um, she just didn't want to have anything to do with me. And I just couldn't believe (laughs) it. I'd hurt her feelings and, you know, she'd call me all kinds of names and hung up and, yeah, so I had to <laughs> had to reassess my amends-making process at that point <laughs> and make sure I run about my sponsor every time. Right. Every time. And, right. and my sponsors said, wait a minute, you know, stopped me a couple of times from not only making amends to people that don't want to have anything to do with me, but, <clears throat> and that's not the goal, right, the, or the key. It's making amends where amends, maybe not, not necessarily. It's just my perception of what happened. Right. And sometimes it's just not there. There's just not an amends to make. It's just stuff that I've beat myself up over for years and have decided that I needed to make an amends
0: for it. Right. And it's, it's not the case. So so as I mentioned on the beginning of the podcast, um, uh, Renee E. mentioned today uh, when I saw her in a meeting, she mentioned that phrase, which I've really been kind of... Uh, rattling around my little pea brain here and the phrase is the habit of sobriety uh, or the habit of recovery however you want to put it and that is so talk to me about how you see how you view your habit of recovery because obviously you've been doing something right Mm -hmm. Um, um, uh, if there's somebody uh, out there listening and they think about what what do I need to establish a habit of recovery? Uh, how would you fill in the blanks on that? I think
1: <clears throat> to kind of finish with the 10th, 11th, and 12th, I think that when you do the 10th, and 11th, and 12th step on a regular basis, that gets that habit in, in, in and get you going, right? And those are things like making sure you're calling another alcoholic every day or at least texting them you're talking to them you're going to meetings you sponsor when you can sponsor um if there's nobody there that wants you to sponsor them you volunteer for other things i mean you know carrying the message isn't all about you know sponsorship it's right. about showing up i mean sure. uh I, <clears throat> the, you're carrying the message today so like at the white house group i remember it was only six or seven of us that showed up on a regular basis to that meeting. Mm-hmm. Well, one day I showed up, and I'm the only one there. So what am I supposed to do? Just turn around and walk out the door and and forget about it because nobody showed up? No, I sat there, and this guy walked in off the street that needed a meeting. So he and I had a meeting there, right? So <clears throat> and I wasn't sponsoring anybody. I wasn't. So it was just a part about being there right. when somebody
0: needs it. And uh, when the hand of AA reaches out, um, uh, I always mess this up. Uh, <clears throat> I want uh, yeah, the hand of AA to be there. Yep. How's that go? The responsibility thing. <laughs> you get it though. Yeah, because I mean, what happened to me
1: when I was I had been sober less than a week, and I woke up at two o'clock in the morning and needed a drink. Mm-hmm. And I had never done that before. I'd never woke up in the middle of the night needing a drink because, you know, I'd always passed out. So right. I really, I'd already, <laughs> already had all the drinks I could handle. And, uh, but I didn't know what to do. I really did. Um, and I had, still had liquor in my house at that point. And so I started calling around and texting and uh, somebody picked up a phone and walked me back off the ledge and... Here I am eight years later because that one person right. was there right. and so I make it a point to sleep with the bed with the phone next to me in the bed and uh, whenever it rings at night I answer whenever somebody says we need you to do this I run over and if I if I can humanly do it then I do it I think I'm going to set my
0: alarm for 3 o'clock. And, Give me a call, uh, I, Give me a call. Man. And uh, for those of you out there listening, uh, Chad's number is. I'm just kidding. <laughs> you, can, you can find me on, on all kinds of websites. But, all right, Chad. All right, well, listen, this has been uh, absolutely fantastic. Anything you want to add before we close out here today? Well, I would say that
1: one thing I... Again, when I first came here, I thought happiness was going to be non-existent for me that i was just going to exist i wasn't going to be happy but after you know and it's it would have been impossible for me to envision this when i had been sober 30 days but as i went through everything all you know people dying aa people dying yeah divorces uh kids leaving kids being you know whatever it is um you know, I've been, I've gotten remarried since I've been sober. I've got two new kids because of that yeah. and a new family. And, and you know, I know you're right. And the happiness mm-hmm. there is not what I ever thought it would have been. If you would have asked me what happiness was 10 years ago, I would have said X, Y, and Z. And it's not that. And happiness isn't just being laughing all the time. There, the, You know, you can be content. Yeah. And, and it'll be all right. You can always be happy. So, the happiness definition uh, changing for me has been maybe the biggest difference for me and now and me eight years ago.
0: Very so. good. Well put, well put. Um, I always say, God's been good to me. He let hardly anything work out the way I had it planned. <laughs> It's proved true to me many times. All right, so uh, I'm going to read from page 164. It closes out. It says, Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Thank you very much, Chad, for joining me one more time. You're welcome. Um, And uh, we'll look forward to having many of you on the podcast along for the ride.